Amen. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really looking forward to the prayer conference. Um, I uh, one of the things that has been such a such a beauty to behold here is that so many people taking sermon notes on Sunday morning. Such a hunger for the word and. And we're certainly thankful for that, but, uh, but we want to make sure it's not all head. We want to make sure that we're not missing the experiential part of it. And, uh, and I think that a, a weekend of intense focus on prayer, like what we're planning, is, is going to be something that I think will be very good for me. And I know if it'll benefit me, I know it'll likely benefit um, all of us. And so, um, so I'm really looking forward to that. You know, a lot of times uh, as you're turning in your Bibles to Matthew 7 for, for really just one last time uh, because we're finishing up the Sermon on the Mount this morning, you know, a lot of times there's this uh, kind of conventional wisdom that, you know, you hear it all the time and you hear it so much that you just kind of assume that it's true. And yet so often what happens with those kinds of things is that when you look into it deeper, or you look at to it in a more, maybe in a more academic level or something like that, you discover that conventional wisdom is often not very true. Uh, it often works out that way. So for example, uh, when I was going through one of my first uh, couples counseling courses, uh, we looked at the old conventional wisdom that opposites attract. Now I know you guys have all heard this before, right? And, and that's kind of conventional wisdom that we all accept. But, but when we looked at that, we saw that over and over and over again, it's actually been shown that while, yes, there may be some surface hobbies or interests or things that are opposite that may kind of draw people to each other, most of the time, in fact, all the times, there are some core commonalities that are really kind of bringing the two together. And it was really unfortunate to find that out because I seem to attract all the crazies. And so, um, a case in point <laughs> is a letter that I got last week, and I, I get these um, all the time. I'm not sure if I'm the only pastor in town who gets these or not. I wasn't talking about you, Roxanne. So, uh, but um, anyway, this is from a self-proclaimed prophet down in South Florida who uh, basically challenged me that if I have the guts as a pastor that I will reprint his letter and send it to all of you. And uh, by the way, that is not what's happening here. But I, it's just interesting that I usually just throw these away, but it just happened to be falling on this weekend, so I kind of kept it. So this guy's predicting that um, uh, basically natural disasters are peaking around the corner. There's gonna be exceptionally destructive hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes in our near future flooding disease asteroids. Asteroids are coming, ladies and gentlemen, all because, all because we have a Democrat in office. Imagine that. They're bringing the asteroids. I didn't know they had the power to do that. Mayhem, chaos, uh, be ready for attacks that will dwarf 9-11. And then uh, he says, invasion is almost a fact at this time in our weakened state. Signed, sincerely, the prophet to America. And so, here's a question this morning. Should I listen to this guy? Is this someone that I should pay attention to? Well, how do you know? How do you know? Well, there's a couple things I should look at in this letter. Like, for instance, he uses language in this letter that, beloved, I would not disgrace this sacred desk with. There is language in this letter that is unbecoming of any Christian, much less 
much less a supposed prophet. He sent four pages of this, but you know, even worse than that, it's not what he's saying, it's what he doesn't say in four pages front and back of letters to America that he's sending out to whoever, there is not one single mention of the gospel. Not one. There's all about voting your values. There's all about getting you know, his particular party in place. It's all about all that other stuff, but there's not one mention of the gospel. Not one. The way to save ourselves from asteroids is to vote the way he wants us to. Now, you tell me, is this a prophet who's showing the fruits of the Spirit? Probably not, and I'm gonna do it in front of you what I usually do with these letters. <laughs> but, guys, the point is, is that that's not the narrow gate. That's an example of the broad gate. That's an example of the wide gate. And that is an example of what we are looking at that Paul, excuse me, that Jesus is saying that enter into the narrow gate because the wide gate is broad and it is easy, but it is the way that leads to destruction. And so he says, enter the narrow gate. And we looked last week at what that means. What is the narrow gate versus the wide gate? And, and what, are, what are some ways that we can look at that? And my prayer this morning is that we will examine our hearts and our lives this morning and determine whether we are truly in the narrow gate, whether we are truly listening to those who are bringing us to the narrow gate and guiding us along what is admittedly the difficult path, but it is the path that leads to life. And so the two questions that came up is, what does this mean? And number two, enter the narrow gate. That's kind of a metaphorical command. And, and the question is, how do we do that? And really, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is essentially telling us how to do that. It's telling us how, what, it, what does it look like practically to enter into the narrow gate? What, is, what do we do? And so Jesus tells us that in order to enter the narrow gate, simply this, we must hear and do his words. We must hear and do his words. And we find that illustration at the end of the sermon. And so how does he show us this this morning? He's gonna give it to us in the form of three warnings. Three warnings. We must beware of false prophets like the one who wrote me the letter. We must beware of false discipleship and we must beware of a false foundation. And so we're gonna look at these this morning, bewaring, first of all, of false prophets in verse, verses 15 through 20. Here's what he says. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruits, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So to enter the narrow gate, first of all, we see that we must beware of these false prophets. We must beware of false prophets. 
prophets. Every gate has a gatekeeper, someone who is there who is trying to convince you to come into their gate and enter into their way of life. And the gatekeepers of the wide gate is false prophets. We must beware of them. We must be on alert, you might say, or you, might, you must be on guard, if you will. And why? Because they are deceptive. Look what it says. It says that they come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Paul is going to say something very similar to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 19 and 30. He knows that he is about to give his life for Christ, and he knows that this is the last time he's going to see the Ephesian elders. And he says, I know that after my departure, look at this, same word, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And what will they do? And from among your own selves, they will arise men speaking twisted things. Why? To draw away the disciples after them. They come in among you. They twist and speak twisted things all so they can draw disciples to themselves. And so how can we be on guard against them? And in verse 16, we see that this is, this is the response. How do we recognize them? How do I recognize that that letter that I received was a letter from a false prophet? How do I know that? And the answer is, Jesus says in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. And then he says it again in verse 20, you will recognize them by their fruits. So much, so important is this, is that he, he basically brackets this section with that sentence, recognize them by their fruits. You know, there's all kinds of analogies to fruits in the scripture, uh, Genesis chapter one, in verse, uh, and really all through, but verse 16 uh, is the one I happen to look at, that everything in creation produces after its own kind. Everything in creation produces after its own kind. And in the same way, if it is corrupted, if it is depraved, everything it produces will also be corrupted. It will also be depraved. And that is what Jesus is getting at in the verses that follow. Grapes cannot come from thorn bushes. In other words, it produces according to its nature. Figs don't come from, what does he say here? Uh, bristles, thistles? It produces according to its nature. How do you know that an apple tree is an apple tree? It grows apples, right? How do you know an orange tree is an orange tree? It grows apples, right? No, what I just say? Okay, yeah, that's not right. So, uh, but how do you know an orange tree is an orange tree? Don't listen to me. It produces oranges, right? And in the same way, if something, if the tree is diseased, look what he says in verse uh, 17. He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, though the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Healthy tree, watch this, cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. In other words, it will produce according to its kind, and if it is corrupted, so is everything else it produces will be corrupted. Beloved, the flesh can only give birth to flesh. Only the Spirit can give birth to the Spirit, John chapter three. 
So you'll recognize them by their fruits. Now, what do we mean here by fruits? What are we talking about? Because again, that's, that's a little metaphorical and you kind of hear this all the time, but no one ever really defines it. And so, so what are we talking about here? Well, just to give you a couple things real quick. Number one, we need to watch their words. We need to watch their words. Matthew chapter 12, I'm not gonna read these verses, but Jesus says that you, uh, you speak perverse things out of the treasure of your heart. The mouth speaks. That letter that I read had language in it that I would not defile the sacred desk with. Unbecoming of anyone who claims to be a servant of God. And so you watch their words. But you know, also, and you could also put James 3 here, that blessing and cursing cannot come out of the same mouth any more than the same spring can produce salt and fresh water uses that analogy. But you know, also important here is not so much what they say, but also what they don't say. What is not an emphasis? For example, you can go to churches this morning, you, you will hear all about morality. You will hear all about being good citizens. You will hear all about voting your values. You will hear all about good things that, by the way, we agree with but you'll listen here week after week after week and the one thing you won't get is a clear explanation of the gospel. You will not get a rich exposition of a passage of scripture. You will not get a rich understanding or explanation of justification or sanctification or any of these major things that every Christian should know. And so it's not just what they say, but we also need to be aware of what they're not saying. So often the gospel is assumed and not preached. And beloved, the generation that assumes the gospel will lead the next generation to forsake the gospel. We have to be aware Number two, the outcomes. You could look at Romans 6. What, what is their teaching and beliefs? Is it leading to sin? Is, it, is their teaching leading them to a sinful lifestyle, telling you that now I'm gonna teach you this. The Bible says that this behavior is not okay, but we know different. Or sometimes they'll say on TV, uh, if you can't find what I'm saying in the Bible, don't worry because I got it from the highest source. I got it from Jesus himself when he visited me in my bedroom and taught me how to play saxophone. There was a prophet that literally claimed that on Sid Roth's It's Supernatural, so whatever. And by the way, speaking of prophets, does what they say come to pass? Does it actually happen? You know, it's a good thing for the modern prophecy movement that we don't do it like they did in the Old Testament because if you make a prophecy and it doesn't come to pass, <laughs> you were stoned. That's how serious it was. And you know, I had to, 2020 had to be one of the biggest face plants of the modern prophecy movement. Sid Roth at the beginning of the year, he had 20 different prophets on his show, all prophesying prosperity and blessing and peace and tranquility at the beginning of 2020. 
One of the prophets literally prophesied, I see stadiums filled with people packed out. Did you see the pictures from the stadiums in 2020? I mean, if he could have gotten one right, you would have thought that that would be it, right? Every single one of them predicted that Donald Trump would win the election. They had a 50-50 shot. They still got it wrong. And so, what's the outcomes? Does what they say actually come true? If not, beloved, they're a false prophet. They're a false prophet, and you should pay them no heed. The Bible does not give a margin of error for prophecy. God says, if they're my people, then what they say is gonna come true. If not, ignore them. Behavior. Luke chapter three, he says, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Does this teacher or this behavior, does this prophet, what kind of behavior characterizes their life? Now, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. Guys, you could put my life under a microscope and you could see all kinds of sin, okay? Nobody's talking sinless perfection here. But is their lifestyle characterized by a continual pursuit of unrepentant sin. Are the bearing fruits of repentance? And then, fat, and, then, and then just their general disposition. Galatians chapter five, the fruits of the spirit. Is this a person that is characterized by love? Is this a person that is characterized by peace? Is this a person that is characterized by joy? Are they a joyful person? Is this a person that is characterized by brotherly kindness? Again, we're not talking perfection here, but we're talking about the basic, their, their life in the main shows growth in these areas. We must hear Christ's words and we will recognize them by the fruits of those who bring it. He says, when we recognize these false prophets, we are to avoid them. Don't even let them in your home. That's what 2 John says. Do not bring them into your home, which I think has a lot of application for television today. Don't bring them in physically. Don't beam them in over the airwaves either. Don't bring them into your car. Don't bring them into your phone. They lead to destruction. Avoid these things, cling to Christ, cling to what is true. Christ says it is the truth that sets you free. It is the truth. And so it's not enough to hear, we must also do. We see that we must beware false prophets, but we must also do his words, bewaring of false discipleship. Bewaring of false discipleship. The first warning did concern false prophets, but now that's not the only danger. There's also false discipleship as well. Jesus says in verse uh, 21 and following, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? There will always be false prophets, but there will also be false discipleship. There will be those who deceive. There are those who are deceived. 
See those who are seeking disciples and those who become their disciples. There are those who divide and there are those who go along with the division. And so Jesus elaborates in verse 24, 22 that many will come to me on that day. Now, now stop right there for a minute and let's look at that word many. Do you remember that from verse 13? He says that wide is the gate and narrow is the way and there are many who enter it. And who are these many? Now he comes down and says, those many will come to me on that day and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? <clears throat> By the way, the church did all, all of these in the book of Acts. And in case there's any doubt, Jesus does all of these in the Gospels. So the problem's not necessarily with what they do. And yet, Jesus' response in verse 23 is sobering. He says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Workers of lawlessness. <clears throat> You see, it's not by works. It's not by the things we do. All these people are coming to Christ and saying, did we not do, do, do? And yet Christ says, I never knew you. See, the point is, it's not exactly, it's not necessarily what they've done, but it's what they're putting their hope in. It's what they're arguing their case on. It's what they are going back to Christ and saying, I should be allowed into heaven because look what I've done. I did all of these, and I even did them in your name, Lord. I was Christ-centered, right? We strive to be Christ-centered at, at Calvary. And, and it is right to be Christ-centered, but understand, you can become just as methods-driven using methods that are more biblical than using methods that are not. If you're trusting in the methods, you still have a problem. Because they're trusting in the methods of prophecy and casting out demons and doing many mighty works. And Christ says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Goes back to that relationship. He says in Jesus' words in verse 21, those who do the will of the Father. Look what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father. You say, wait a minute, that seems to contradict what he just said. Well, it goes back to verses 15 and 20 that talk about the relationship between faith and fruits. That genuine fruits grow out of faith. That genuine works come from those who are in faith, it's a relationship between the root of salvation and the fruit of salvation. And that's why, what is the Father's will? In John 17, three, what is the will of the Father? Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is the will of the Father. 
And, and doing that will always springs out of a heart that knows him, a heart that is the fruit of our faith. It, is, it grows from what is inside. And that's why in John 15, in verse eight, <clears throat> Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Why? And so prove to be my disciples. Beloved, the fruit that we bear is not what makes us saved. The fruit that we bear is what proves that we are saved. It shows our lives are connected to the vine in that particular text. And so there's a false confidence that comes here. Did we not do these things? Did we not do these things? And Jesus says, but I never knew you. It was completely in separation. And beloved, there is such a false confidence in miracles today. There is such a false confidence. In fact, that's exactly what's being preached. Let me, uh, let me show you a quote from Bill Johnson. This is the... Uh, pastor of Bethel Church in Reading. You've heard me talk about this guy. We refuse to use their music uh, because of things like this. I don't know if you could read that or not, but he says, the gospel requires miracles to be fully preached. We cannot lose track of the fact that God has called us to invade the impossible. I don't even know what that means. And demonstrate his love purity, and power. He says that unless you are performing miracles, then it is not the gospel. You know what Paul says in Romans 1.16? He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. With all due respect to Bill Johnson, the gospel does not need his help. It does not need the help of us. So the question is, who are you gonna believe? Are you gonna believe Bill Johnson or are you gonna believe Paul? Guess who, my, guess who my money's on? So that's why you see that. Verse 24, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This, this is where the Sermon on the Mount is coming to. Let me ask you a question. He says, everyone who does these words everyone who hears these words and does them. What are the these words referring to? I mean, in the immediate context, what, what do you think they're referring to? It's the Sermon on the Mount, right? So everything that we've been studying for the last three months or so, everything that we've been referring to, Jesus now says, whoever hears these words and does them, it's like the man who built his house on the rock. Let me ask you a question. In all these three months, where has Christ ever mentioned prophecy? Where has Christ ever mentioned casting out demons? Where has Christ ever mentioned doing mighty works as essential for the gospel, as essential for salvation? He's never said anything like that. You know what he has said? You know what we have seen? Revering scripture's commands not giving in to anger, exchanging a critical spirit for love, exchanging a vengeful spirit for compassion, resisting sin, sincerity in worship, our generosity, prayer, fasting, self-denial, seeking his kingdom, 
as the number one priority and trusting that when we seek his kingdom, all these other things will be added to us. You know what? Those are not flashy, but they're real. They're deep. They're authentic. They lead to a life of joy. They lead to a life of contentment. They lead to a life that can withstand the storm that's coming as he says in verse 24. Those things aren't gonna get you on the front page paper of charisma today, but it is gonna get you in the kingdom of heaven. And given the choice, I don't need my ugly mug on the front of a magazine. And so, we must beware of false discipleship. And then finally, and a false foundation. Verse 24, you've heard this before. It used to be a song that the kids would sing. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Why? And the rock on the house on the rock stood firm or something like that. How they kind of hurt. So, and then they would do the flat, you know. This last warning comes in this form of, a, of an illustration, of an illustration. He, he says that the one who hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who builds his house on the rock. Two men each build a house, one on rock, one on sand. Jesus says in verse 25 and verse 27, look what he says here. The rains came and the floods rose and the winds came and beat on that house. And by the way, notice he says the exact same thing in verse 25 that he does in 27. In other words, both of the guys build a house, one on rock, one on sand. The same storm comes. This is not a different storm. This is the same storm. And both of them are in the water of the rains. Both of them are in the floods. Both of them are having the wind beat against the house. they're enduring the same trials. Listen, beloved, gas is still $4 a gallon whether you're a believer or not. The church in Ukraine is going through the same difficulties right now as their non-believing fellow citizens. The trials of life are the same. They endure the same trials. Building your house on the rock does not mean the storm's not coming. It doesn't mean that. But the difference is, is that it's not, the difference is not what comes at you in this world. The difference is whether or not you stand through it. That's the question. And those who build their lives on Christ, who build their lives on the rock, they will stand when the storm comes. Psalm 119, I think it's 165. Great peace have they which love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Nothing causes them. Is that reference right? I kind of I, I kind of shot from the hip there. It's dangerous to do that. That is right. Psalm 119, 155, 165. Great peace have they which love your law and nothing causes them to stand, causes them to stumble. You want Build our lives on the rock. Build our lives on the rock. You know, I've been teaching lessons for the youth lately and 
One of the things I've been talking to them about is that how the world presents all these great lifestyle choices and and presents them as if there's no moral character to them, as if there's no moral consequences, that one is just as good as another and we should all just gather around a campfire and hug and sing Kumbaya. But here's the problem. I see what happens when that lifestyle fails them. I see what happens when that lifestyle fails betrays them. And I see the devastation of life. I see the devastation of these sinful lifestyles and what they do to families, what they do to people, what they do to children, what they do all over. That's the point when people come to people like me. And I see what their lifestyles bring And trust me, when Jesus says, and the rains beat up against that house and the house fell and great was the fall of it, he is not exaggerating. It is a great fall. You know, there's an interesting, and and I'll end with this, but there's an interesting translation difference in the ESV. Mark, can we we put verse uh, 25 back on the, Back on the board. I'll give him a second to do that. I didn't tell him I was going to do this. And, and let me just say that if you're using the NASB or something like that, you may not see this difference because it is a translation choice. It's not a textual thing. But I want you to notice this here. He says here, the rains fell and the floods came. This is the one who builds his house on the rock. The rains came, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. Skip over to verse 27. I want you to see this. And please keep in mind, this is a translation choice. But the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew, and watch this, and beat against that house. Beat against that house. Now again, your translation may not reflect this difference. I I think it's a valid translation. It's one that probably I would have done. But beloved, I only say that to say this, is that when the rains come and the winds are beating, they're not here to be against you. They beat on you, sure, but they're not against you because the house on the rock stands firm. And everything that God allows into your life, everything that God brings into your life is there for one purpose, and that is this, to make you more like Jesus Christ. Christ, which is his ultimate glory, which will always be your greatest good. This wonderful verse in Romans 8, 28, it says that we know that all things who, that for those who love God, all things work together. It doesn't say all things are good, but it says they all work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And, and as you read on in that text, you see the golden chain of salvation. What, what is that purpose? That we will be glorified in heaven like Christ in his presence forever. Everything that God brings into your life is working to that ultimate purpose. Beloved, when the storms come and the winds beat against you of life, they're not coming up against you. God is using them to form you. And so this morning we we saw that if we're gonna enter the narrow gate, we must hear and do the words of Christ. 
And we saw, um, I noticed I didn't update my PowerPoint, but we saw that to do that, we must beware of false prophets. We must beware of false discipleship. We must beware of a false foundation. And so, beloved, this is how we reflect on Christ in our lives. This is how we reflect on Christ in our church. And, and as far as how we can do that, let me, let me just, uh, I got a couple things here, but it, it is Labor Day, so I'm gonna uh, just try to end a, a tad earlier than I have been lately. <clears throat> but let me just uh, show you a connection here. Jesus says that, those who, built, those who hear and do his words. Beloved, do you see the connection to the Great Commission there? Remember what the Great Commission is? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How? Baptizing them and teaching them. And not just teaching them, but teaching them to do, to observe everything. Do you see that connection there? Those who hear my words and do them, that's exactly what we as the church are to be training and teaching people to do. To hear his words so that you in turn can know how to do them and build your house on the rock. So beloved, this morning, whether you are in your Sunday school class, whether you're in a small group, whether you're in uh, one of the various ministries that we do, the choir, the, 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 the worship team, the, the FMT committee, the, the serving committee, whatever it is, beloved, our goal is to, that people will hear and people will do the words of Christ and thus build their house on the rock. We say it this way, that we may know the faith, live the faith, share the faith with others. And these are some of the practical ways that we do that. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. That's the Great Commission. We don't stop at Jesus and a handshake. We disciple. We train. We teach. We help. We counsel. We sing the word, we preach the word, we pray the word, all of that so that people will hear and do his words. I pray your life is built on the rock. But if you feel your life is a, built on a foundation of sand and you feel like you're falling, I would love to talk to you this morning. Father, I thank you for these truths. I thank you for these, this wonderful time that you've given us, Lord. I I know it is a weekend in which many people are, are uh, traveling and having fun with their families. Lord, we don't criticize them for that. We do pray that through the radio or, or through some other means, they will get the biblical nourishment that they need this week. But Father, for those of us who are here this morning, I pray that we have heard these words and we will be committed to build our, house, our houses on the rock, to build our lives upon hearing and doing your word. And Father, whatever form, whatever need that may represent this morning, there's people here, all of us, in some way or another, need to hear your word spoken into some area of our lives, and we need to follow those words. And whatever that need is, I pray that you will reveal that to your people as they reflect on and meditate on uh, the text that has been taught this morning. I wanna ask you guys to stand and just do that for a moment, just to kind of reflect on what's been said and done. 
Ask yourself, what area in life is there that you need biblical help? What area is there that you need to hear the words that what God says specifically to that particular struggle you may be having? Or maybe it's not a struggle. Maybe it's something that's going good in your life right now. And, and maybe you need to know that you don't need to put your trust in that, but glorify the Lord for it, but keep it in its proper perspective. Whatever it is, whatever your need is this morning, we ask you to reflect on that. And if you have a need that you need some help praying with, we ask you to come down and we'll be happy to pray with you as we play.